One thing that we have to understand is this will absolutely need to happen for a viable for a viable world is that every single building, just like, you know, in, on cereal boxes, we have a nutrition label behind it to tell us exactly what's gone into the building, how good or bad it is, how many calories you're eating. This will need to happen for every single building. This absolutely has to happen. And this, the building nutrition label would read things like how much energy is it using? How much carbon is it using? How much daylight is it using? What kind of glare does it have? And that is how every single decision will be made. And that's, that's the world that I know will happen for there to be a viable world. So I hate to put grim, grim thing, like grim thoughts into people's mind, but that is 100% the reality. Hi there, M4 Edge listeners. This is Marco Nunziata. Our guest today is Sandeep Ahuja, co-founder and CEO of CoveTool. Sandeep has been named to the Forbes prestigious 30 under 30 list. The recognition has given her a great boost in exposure and credibility, but it can also prove to be a mixed blessing in the construction industry, as you will hear from her. Sandeep founded CoveTool to help fight climate change, and here are the two numbers she wants you to focus on. Worldwide, buildings account for about 40% of energy consumption and carbon emissions, and yet about 50% of buildings are designed without even thinking of energy efficiency. Why? Mainly because addressing energy efficiency in construction is devilishly difficult. So Sandeep developed a web-based platform that helps optimize energy efficiency in a holistic way, taking into account all the elements that contribute to a building's energy consumption. And it helps identify the most cost-effective way to reach specific energy efficiency targets. What's more, CovTool is accessible to pretty much anybody, not just big firms, but also small contractors and individual homeowners. We also discussed the role of generative design, the impact of regulations, the dismal state of productivity growth in the construction industry, and whether the rapid global adoption of software tools like Cove will cause buildings to look increasingly alike around the world. Sandeep has an infectious enthusiasm for transforming one of the oldest industries in the world, making for a very high-energy podcast. Enjoy the episode, share it with your friends and colleagues, mention it in your countless Zoom meetings, and give us a review on iTunes. Thanks for being curious. Sandeep Ahuja of Cove Tool. Welcome to M4Edge. Hey, thanks. Happy to be here. <laughs> Welcome, Sandeep. It's exciting. It's exciting for us as well. And so we'll kick it off with our usual polite icebreaker, which is, <laughs> why on earth are you doing this? <laughs> and like what this it is that podcast? you're doing? <laughs> well, no, <laughs> it's more... <laughs> why are you wasting your time with us? Yeah. <laughs> huh. um, so from a Cove Tool standpoint, gosh, I'm, I'm doing it because... So I'll, I'll, I'll start with like the, the, big, the big philosophical idea, because truly, as cliche as it sounds, that's what drives me is to stop climate change. The world is dying. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, especially right during COVID-19, but the world is dying, not people, but the world. And buildings are 40% of that. And most buildings that get designed, and when I say most, that's over 50% of them are designed without ever even 
thinking about energy, without even considering energy, without even considering how much daylight we're going to get. Can we add sensors to turn the lights off because we have enough daylight? It's just mind boggling. So 40% is a big chunk. So all right, somebody will take care of the rest of the 60%. I'll, I'll go for the 40. When you say 40%, you mean of energy use worldwide. Yeah, that's what you're talking about? I'm talking about the carbon emissions that buildings contribute to, whether it's in terms of actually building it and in terms of the actual uh, carbon emissions that they're creating by using the energy. So, you know, the computers that we have turned on, the electricity that's being used or what have you. It's a stunning number because it's not something that people instinctively think of when they think about pollution and emissions. So I think it's very, very good to underscore it upfront to realize how important this is. Yeah, it would be easier if buildings let fumes out. I mean, I guess some buildings do, but you know, like physically let fumes out based on how bad they were. That'd be helpful. But then tell us a bit more. So how is it, what is it in buildings that makes them such a major contributor to global emissions? Yeah, for sure. Um, so big picture, the reason why buildings are causing so much portion of the carbon emissions, because if we divide it into two key pieces, one of them being the energy that the buildings are actually using just to be operational, imagine like grocery stores, right? Those lights stay on pretty much all the time. Refrigerators stay on all the time. But even your homes, a lot of times like your lights, your fans, your HVAC, every single space almost in the United States has HVAC. And this is true for many, many countries, even if we don't necessarily need the HVAC, maybe we can just open some windows. So that's a pretty big contributor of all of the energy. But the other portion of it is also all of the items, all of the things that go into the building. So if you imagine the rug, the carpet, the furniture, the lights, the wall, the gypsum material, all of the energy that's used to create those materials that go into the building, that's about 10% of that 40% is the materials that go into the building. And of course, the bigger chunk is just us using it. So if I make a bad decision now, that bad decision stays true as long as the building lives and buildings live a very long time. So we got to make better decisions. That last point is something that I think most people don't really fully appreciate. They might know intuitively that um, a building has a longer lifetime than, say, an individual light bulb or car. Um, but the fact that um, your choices about what your building is made of will affect emissions in 2050, um, I think is not something that people really register. So talk a little bit. I mean, we have to get to the tool itself in a minute um, and explain <laughs> explain what Cove tool is and does. But if, if you could talk a little bit more about... Um, which of the which of those choices are long lived and which of those choices are more easily retrofitable? Sure. So we see tons of retrofitting that is happening now, but the decisions that are long lived that we cannot change is things like what kind of structure went into your building. So for example, if we talk about concrete versus steel versus timber as the structural member of your particular building, that may or may not have such a in big impact on the actual energy use of your building, but that has a pretty drastic impact on the embodied carbon, which is the energy used to produce that material. So the other part of the percentage that I talked about, things that will typically live with your building and are really, really hard to change 
are like insulation. How much insulation did you put in your wall? What kind of glass did you use? I mean, you literally would have to refacade an entire building to, to change things like that. To change out a mechanical system kind of depends. You still have to a lot of times stick with the original infrastructure, the ductwork, because you can't rip everything out in the entire building because... I mean, at that point, you're just basically building a new project, but you can upgrade it somewhat. You can upgrade lighting fixtures. You can add sensors for things to work well, but that's really the extent of it. Let me ask just one quick question on this because it's fascinating and it brings to mind something else, which is often in the discussion on energy savings, there is a lot of emphasis on the idea of smart homes and using digital technology to moderate the use of energy within the house and then at some point connecting it to the idea of a smart grid. How relevant is this at this stage and is it something that also needs to be kept in mind at the design and planning stage? It's definitely critical. It helps a lot. A lot of times it's put into the buildings after the fact. But to point out, if we think about all the major cities, so there's a key point that most energy is being used in the cities. And if we look at all of the cities, most of the energy within that cities is not used by all of the single family homes. It's by all of the all of the tall buildings in the core of the city. So for instance, if you imagine Atlanta or even better Manhattan, which has more buildings than Atlanta, um, the central part of Manhattan where all the towers are uses a whole lot more energy than if you spread out across all of the 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 lower you know the the lower height buildings the lower so we call it kind of like the the tower versus the the carpet so it's really the tower that's creating about 60% of all energy use so yeah, we definitely want to make changes to our homes. We want to make them more efficient, where, whether we live in a tower or we live in our single family home someplace. But it's really the, the high density, the large buildings that are the, the bigger users of energy to begin with. For example, your office spaces, there's still so many buildings. I drive past the highway here in Atlanta and I'll see the lights are turned on. It's 10 p.m. in the night. There's clearly no way anybody's in there. But even smart practices like that, I mean, that's a no-brainer. That's an easy one. That'll pay themselves off pretty quickly. Um, but yeah. So actually, let me make sure I understand this. What you're saying is, I, I think in a way obvious that if it's a larger building, there's more energy use, but you're, are you suggesting that actually there's more energy use per capita or per square foot in the taller buildings or just that they're big so they use more? I'm just saying if we're trying to tackle what already exists because there's a pretty large amount of buildings that already exist, right? Because of course the new buildings, fine, we can fix it, we can design them better, but the ones that exist, if we're trying to tackle the energy savings problem and go after the whole retrofitting area and be like, hey, what should we start with? The lower hanging fruit is definitely the larger buildings instead of going to each of the separate homeowners versus just talking to one developer who may own right. the building and be like, hey, we're going to retrofit your entire building. In ter- right, in terms of implementation of a, of a solution. But I mean, just to just to be clear, un- unless you have different data, I've always been told that actually like more dense habitation and more dense office space is much more efficient than- Oh, very uh, much a, so. You know, so Atlanta is actually a really good case in point because there's so much sprawl there. Right. Gosh, I mean, very, very much so. So okay. I'm definitely pointing more towards the implementation piece, Perfect. which makes it 
a whole lot more viable versus everybody put new sensors in your home. That'll, that'll be a much harder thing to do. Of course, LA has, has done that. All the new net zero energy home laws that have been mm -hmm. passed, which is, which is exciting, but it definitely is not something that's happening everywhere just yet. Right. So, okay. So we've gotten a little bit of um, context for what the problem looks like and why you're tackling it. How are you tackling it? What is CoveTool? What does it do? Definitely. So CoveTool is a web-based platform. So I used to be a consultant and I used to study with my team of 12 in a consulting firm that I created. We used to basically test the energy, the daylight, the glare, all of the different building performance things that we just talked about. And we typically would charge anywhere from $30,000 to $50,000 per project. There were so many projects that could never afford a consultant like us, like you just mentioned, right? Even maybe single family home. There's no way, unless you're like one of the mega billionaires, uh, you're not going to be able to afford a $50,000 consultant for your minor home renovation project. And Cove Tool automates that entire piece to democratize it because we need building performance modeling to be so accessible so that it's democratized and automated in a way that not just the specialist can do it, not just the consultants can do it. Every single designer can do it. Every single developer can do it. My dad, who's not even in the AEC industry, he ran a Cove Tool model when he was fixing up his home. He's like, I just want to see how much PV I need to be net zero. <laughs> so it's, it's really being able to get it to a level where the AEC community, the architectural engineering construction community can, can use it on every single project, not just the key elite ones that have budget for it, but really also every single homeowner, every single person who's working on any project to be able to do a quick task, to be able to, to figure out how things are performing is, is what it does. And one additional level of nuanced information that I want to add about it is that even the consultants right now will currently test three or four or five possible iterations or options. And when I say these options, this can be either the design, like the shape where you're going to put the glazing, you know, all of that good stuff, but also what type of glass you're going to put in, what type of mechanical system you're going to put in, what type of lights you're going to put in. I mean, that there's like thousands of possible combinations. People don't test more than four or five. Even when you bring on the expensive consultant, they won't test more than four or five. The Cove tool runs a holistic cost versus energy optimization to figure out the absolute lowest cost way to meet your energy targets. So it'll run five different design options with five different products for your wall, five different products for your glass, five different products for your HVAC and run every option to create the Here's the most cost effective way to move forward so that folks, while being more energy efficient, don't necessarily have to spend more money because we currently spend money on inefficiency more than anything else. And there is something here, Sandeep, that I want to dig a bit deeper in, because from what you're saying, it jumps out to me that uh, your Cove tool is doing two things. It's bringing to the table more energy efficiency for the construction sector and the buildings themselves, which is going to be a huge contribution to sustainability and the fight against global warming. But it also brings a greater efficiency to the construction process overall. And here, perhaps, it's worth reminding our listeners that the construction industry has a gigantic efficiency and productivity product. I spent six months as a, as a consultant, as a fellow with Autodesk. So I've gotten my 
direct taste of the construction industry. And the construction productivity is actually lower today than it was 50 years ago, which is stunning. And now there are new digital tools like yours that are coming to the table. So talk a little bit about this. How important are digital tools both for efficiency overall, but also how they intersect? How does Cove tool then invest itself into these new digital tools for construction? Definitely. So there's what you said there is exactly the problem. So if you think about it, the way things currently stand, if I'm an architect and I want to design a building, right? Simple scenario. And I'm, let's just pick one simple decision. If I'm just trying to decide what type of glass to put on my building, that decision right now requires me to go out to the manufacturers, get a few glass samples, figure out which color of glass or aesthetic of glass looks good on the building, then put it in the model, send it to the mechanical engineer, the mechanical engineer or the consultant will run a model for energy and be like, yeah, this glass product meets your energy requirements, then send it to the contractor. Then they tell me whether or not it meets the budget. And if it doesn't, I have to do that whole process again. So it's a really, really, really slow and inefficient process with tons of translation layers in there. And what Cove Tool does is it basically brings all of the players together in an integrated fashion. So basically, what it does now is as an architect, if I want to put a particular product in there, I select from a drop-down database of the different manufacturers that we have in the app. And directly from this app, it'll come with the automated cost value as well that is provided by the manufacturer. However, a lot of times contractors have special deals, special pricing information, so they can go in and update the pricing information right then and there. And instead of necessarily sending it two weeks, two weeks to each of the team members, you just run an optimization and make that decision together. So it basically brings everything together and takes out tons of translation layers, which adds time and inefficiency. I want to I want to push on this efficiency point for the construction industry, and um, so this is a question for both of you. Actually, Marco, you brought this point up that construction is less efficient now than it used to be. It, does that mean that it costs more to build a building? That it takes more people to build a building? Is this a function of real estate prices being you know having gone up faster than materials prices? What what's going on? Why is it that uh, construction is less efficient than it used to be? It's very counterintuitive. So what what happened? So there's definitely a Cove tool and building performance layer to it as well. The building energy codes have been becoming more and more stringent for the last 30 years and have exponentially become more stringent over the last decade. And what that means is when we have building energy codes that are more stringent, we suddenly, if we don't have the workflows in place like Cove tool to make automated decisions, we're basically kind of spitballing. We're like, hey, this glass used to meet the energy code in the last project hopefully it'll meet the code in this project and then if it doesn't you're like okay let's try a new one and this is already when the building has started construction so you're changing out the material because it's not meeting different codes while the building is also being built which of course has a pretty drastic impact on the budget so that's definitely one component where if we're not optimizing and we're not studying all the alternatives that are on the table which could be thousands and we're only studying one two maybe three we're just leaving more cost optimal options on the table, which of course allows our project to also be over budget because of that inefficiency. So that's, that's definitely one of the different angles. Hi there, M4 Edge listeners. We wanted to let you know about a new venture Marco and I are launching that we're quite excited about. 
We're calling it the M4 Strategy Garage. It's a strategic advisory service aimed at startups in their growth phase. Depending on how you've raised money and how you've grown, that could mean companies who've just received the Series A funding, company thinking about raising Series B funding, or even later. The point is that the Strategy Garage is for companies who, perhaps for the first time, have to do some serious thinking about their future market a year or two, or even five or 10 down the road. Maybe you have a chief strategy officer, but her time is taken up by tactical work. Or more likely, you don't have a CSO yet, or you're just perpetually short-staffed. Or perhaps you don't have the proper skill set for strategy interpreting your company's macroeconomic context. That's where we come in. So what is the Strategy Garage? It's a series of different strategy offerings available individually or bundled, priced for a startup's budget. For example, our roadside assistance will help you understand how macroeconomic news might affect your market. Our alignment check will help make sure your C-suite is all focusing on the right issues in a consistent manner. Our tune-up and rebuild can help you improve your strategy or build it from scratch. And our test drive will help you do rigorous scenario planning. We'll use our experience of leading innovation strategy for some very large and established organizations, combined with our experience working with startups to help your startup grow. If you're a startup CEO, CFO, COO, and would like to learn more, or a VC or other funder, and know a company that can use our services, please reach out. Send an email to strategygarage at m4edge.com. That's strategygarage, one word, at m, the number four, edge.com. And from my perspective, Michael, I would add that what's been happening is that the, whereas in manufacturing, we've seen massive increases in productivity and productivity, again, being measured by in order to create a unit of output. So to build a car or to create a building, how many hours of work or how many people do you need to do the work and in manufacturing that's been improved partly through automation partly through better uh, organization of production in the case of construction as Sandeep was mentioning regulations uh, which also differ enormously from uh, from one area to the other have an enormous impact. The other thing that has an impact is that the construction sites are also very unstructured environments. So you, Michael, should be happy. That means they are very inhospitable to robots. <laughs> so <laughs> automation doesn't doesn't quite work. But then a lot of it really is in the organization of the processes and Deep was talking about before. I should say just as an aside for another project I'm working on, I learned that in fact the frontier of heavy equipment machinery right now is not just electric vehicles, which I wouldn't have thought would would work for the you know big heavy bulldozers and earth movers and things like that, but but it does. But also AVs, autonomous uh, you know dozers and loaders and all that stuff are are coming. So even in the unstructured environments, yeah. more more room for uh, for. You know, dystopian views, Marco. Sorry. I think, I think that's good enough if you want to bulldoze down a building. If you, if you want to actually build it, I think it's a different story. Let's move yeah. on. Sandeep, another thing you noted just in that answer, which I think is really underappreciated, you were talking about the local um, building codes. Um, and I think most people don't understand how totally um, Byzantine the the building regulations and zoning regulations are i think 
maybe talk a little bit about that. You know, I don't know if you can give some numbers for how, how complicated that space is for a, a builder. Definitely. So it changes based on where you're at. And when I say where you're at, I mean, not only the state, but the city of where you're at. So for example, in United States, there's four major energy codes that are currently being adopted. Of those four, different places have different amendments. Of course, California is its own beast with its own um, multiple, multiple climate zones um, that change based on exactly where you are. But for example, if I have a code for New York, New York City has special amendments. If I have code for Washington, Seattle has its own special amendments. And these change typically every three years. So for example, a lot of times, even the engineers don't know what all of the code requirements are. And you really would hope at least the engineers know, right? And that's because A, they're changing, there's different paths to it, and it's different in different locations, which is really a great place for automation to come in, for a database to come in. So a person doesn't have to manually open up a book, and I mean physically a book, and look into the book and see what the table says for those values. There's a really, really good opening for automation for that particular industry. And it's it's definitely not easy, um, which is predominantly also why it, it just keeps getting ignored. And people just assume that, oh, the architects and engineers will handle it. And I mean, they're handling it, but not in a very efficient way. They're literally spitballing most of the time. And take it from me, I was a consultant. I've been on enough projects where nobody in the team knew what the code was, even until the schematic design phase, which is not how far things should go. Right. So um, you talked about optimization, and I'm wondering how how many variables you know is is it? I assume it's co-optimized, but what I'm thinking of is you know there are sometimes you can there are trade-offs between how tight you want your building, what kind of windows you want, and what kind of HVAC system you want. You know you don't necessarily need the most efficient HVAC system if you've got tight windows or if you've got a really great solar array, you may not also necessarily need, um, you know, uh, whatever, some other kind of energy saving device if you're going for, for net zero. So talk about, you know, you mentioned there were thousands of possibilities. Talk a little bit about how many things get optimized at once. I mean, is it truly whole building or how does it work? Yeah, what you said is exactly true because building is not a simple problem, right? Every component has an impact on every other component. So for instance, just like you said, if I make my windows tighter, my HVAC doesn't have to be quite as big. So if I optimize things in isolation, which is what other consultants have tried in the past, like they'll be like, okay, let me just study the windows and pick the best window. Now let me study the HVAC and pick the best HVAC. Now let me study all the lighting and pick the best lighting. While that's great, that is not how buildings operate. That is not how buildings work. You're not gonna just use windows at one time and HVAC at another time. You're using it holistically. And that's exactly what CoveTool does. It'll let you optimize truly thousands of bundles so you can specify maybe 10 different types of windows, 10 different types of HVACs, 10 different options for solar panels, different sizes, options for sensors, options for lighting, options for even schedules. When is your building going to be open versus not open and options for set points. Are you willing to accept a couple degrees up or down options like 
I've said like a lot. So basically that if you look at all of these options holistically, that's that's too many options for any human to comprehend, which is exactly why our machine learning algorithm comes in for the optimization. And even before you get to the to the algorithm, the data, where do the data come from and how easy or complicated is it to get all the data into the tool? Definitely. So there's two different workflows. There's the easy workflow, which is almost entirely automated. And then there's the, the engineer workflow because we have different types of users, right? We have the contractors that use it, the developers that use it, the architects that use it, that they all fall in the easy category. But then we also have the mechanical engineers and the actual sustainability consultants use it too. And they fall in like the more difficult category because they like to dive into a little bit more detail. So the data that architects have to put in, so in the easy mode, all you really have to know is where your project is at and the geometry of the project. And this geometry is really, really easy to translate because most of the teams work with one of three different types of platforms and we have plugins to all of them. They include things like Revit from Autodesk and SketchUp and Rhino Grasshopper. They're pretty much literally that that covers the entire industry. You just hit export to Cove tool in a plugin, boom, the geometry shows up to Cove tool, and then you can run the analysis on it. That is it. Based on the address, it automatically has the intelligence built in what your local conditions, your weather is like. Based on the address, it also has the intelligence to know what energy code you're under, what should be the right wall assembly, what should be the correct HVAC, what should be the correct glass, all of the above. So once you have that baseline into the place, the optimization, once you click on the optimization, it'll automatically pick three or four other products that are good and well suited for your location automatically from a database of options that manufacturers have helped provide. And it'll run this entire optimization without you having to enter any more information. That said, everything in this process that I have just described is 100% customizable as well which brings us to the complex, the engineer mode, where you go in, you can, sure, it'll come auto-loaded, but you can go in, you can change everything about what the building currently is, and even the options that you want to study. So for instance, if you're studying a special option, doesn't exist in the database, you can create custom options. So how, how does it deal with, or how do you integrate um, newer technologies that have less of a track record? So I'm thinking of, um, you know, small-scale geothermal, for example, is becoming a bigger a bigger deal. And I know there's a, a Google Ventures-based company or backed company called Dandelion. Um, there are other newer technologies that are out there, um, you know, heat pump kinds of things or different uh, whatever, you know, small-scale wind in some locations makes sense also where there's very little data. So how do you incorporate those sorts of things? Or is it, is it are they too boutique to matter for the tool? I mean, they can definitely be a part of the tool. And the, the way to do that is to, for one, understand what building performance modeling even is. What it isn't, for sure, is a prediction of the future. It definitely is not something that allows you to know my building will use 101.23 EY, which is the energy use intensity. There is absolutely no platform that exists that can accurately predict how much you'll use. What it's used for is in fact as a decision-making platform to be like, hey, if this is the information I have currently at hand, what is the absolutely most smart decision that I can make right now with the data available? So the same would be available for newer technology like the, the small-scale geothermal that you mentioned. 
the every single mechanical system, and I would imagine this would exist for that one as well, we go through thousands of iterations to figure out what the what the values are so we can import that into Cove Tool and mimic that, its performance as predicted anyway, into Cove Tool. And when better data becomes available, you can refine it, you can revise it, but there's there's a starting point for everything. I want to switch gears just a, just a little bit um, and talk about you know your your market. So I gather right now you're focused on the states. Um, I don't know if you've got plans to go abroad. I know that the you know obviously that that expansion would ex- explode the uh, the complication or the the number of permutations that Cove would would have to handle. Right. So there are other there are other complexities involved with that expansion. But talk a little bit about the geographies you serve, the geographies you want to serve, and you know the building types obviously differ by by region. So definitely, tell us a little bit about that. So we're actually already used in twenty countries, so which is pretty pretty significant. Wow. And the the key reason why we're used in many 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 countries, even though we've automated many of the American and Canadian codes, even folks in Australia, New Zealand, all over Europe, and South Africa are using Cove Tool because of the advanced mechanical engineering mode. So they'll go in, they'll mock up their own code themselves, they'll create a custom template and be like, okay, we have created our own code, which really also helps us with additional automation and machine learning because people are building more codes without us having to build it and creating templates for it. We're able to to pull that data in for everybody else as well. So I'll give you an example of that. So let's say you are a mechanical engineer in Australia and you go into Cove Tool, you type in your address, which you can literally for anywhere in the world. It won't have your local code in there for you, but it will pull in all of the weather data. It'll pull in just about everything else you need, at least from a climatic standpoint. It'll automatically load an American baseline code for you, like what kind of wall, what kind of roof, all of that good stuff. But you'll go in and you'll customize it for your Australian project. And then you'll be like, all right, I'm going to save this as a template so that everybody else in my company can start auto-loading from this template instead of what Tool already has. Not only does your company now have that data, we have that data for all of the other Australian users and we continue to pile on and, and scale like that as well, which makes sure that it's not just our team that's adding on, but everybody else. It's awesome. And I guess something that helps in this respect, Sandeep, is that the, uh, the other digital tools like Revit that you were mentioning earlier, they're also now widely used around the world in construction projects. And this one, it really brings to mind a, a question which perhaps would fit better towards the end of our conversation, but I want to bring it up now. I've seen recently another one of your interviews, Sandeep, where you made a very interesting point, saying that uh, as you lived in different countries around the world uh, when you were even younger than now, one thing that struck you was that you would move from Russia to Africa, different climates, uh, and the buildings around you always looked very much the same, even though the local conditions, local climate are so different. Now, my question is the following, because the, in some ways with older architecture and construction, it used to be quite the opposite. Traditional construction of buildings varied quite a bit from one region to the other. And then somehow as construction has gotten a bit more homogenized, we have the the buildings look like as you describe. Once we have more intelligence, like Cove Tool is building into the construction process, 
which way are we going to go, do you think? Are we going to have uh, more and more homogeneous buildings, but they're going to be a lot more efficient, but they're all really all look, going to look the same around the world? Or are these tools going to allow us uh, to also leverage more diversity in the design and the look of the buildings? Definitely. So you, you bring up two points there. One of them definitely talks about the actual aesthetic of the building. Though the way the aesthetic of the, which means like, you know, how like an Italian building, the, the way you think about maybe, maybe Rome looks different to, I don't know, an American building or even a Spanish building, right? You can, you can visualize that difference. And that is an architectural style. It was designed because that's how the aesthetic was created. So from an aesthetic standpoint, gosh, I'd be the last person to predict which way the architects are going to move. But what I have noticed is that because architects across the world are using similar tools and tools have a significant impact on what you put together. For example, in a particular software, if it's easier to make boxes versus curved surfaces, you'll more likely than not make boxes. And that's, that's just kind of the bias that has existed in the aesthetic design in any case. Right now, the way Cove Tool currently stands, it doesn't really have an impact on the aesthetic of any particular building. Everybody might still continue to create boxes, but the products that are going into these boxes, the things that you're putting in, the HVAC, even the size of windows, let's say in these boxes, are going to be really, really customized based on your particular location. Another thing that I want to add is the reason why there has been so much homogeneity is also because we rely so heavily on air conditioning to get our comfort, even though a lot of times in the past we had to rely on passive strategies to achieve comfort. So many of the buildings had their windows designed to make sure that the the actual sunlight could go in because the lights didn't even exist. So because we no longer have hurdles like that, it definitely has brought more homogeneity, but even outside of that, even in terms of materials used, there is definitely a long way to go, which brings me to also the point where Tool is going. Yeah, we definitely do tons of building performance analysis, but as we add on all of these layers of analysis, these layers of information about different building products, we eventually bring it back to generative design where it can create not only here, once you've uploaded your design, here is the best one, but also, okay, if these are the parameters that you're open to changing out, which one is the best one for energy, which is the best for daylight, which is the best for glare, which is the best for cost, structure, all of the different elements that go into building design and be able to come back and propose alternate designs, not just guidance on data, which is a good starting point, but definitely not the end. Hey, sorry for the interruption. We hope you are enjoying this episode and the podcast generally. If you're enjoying it, please take a minute now to write a review on Apple Podcasts. Here's how. On your iPhone, in the podcast app, you know, the little purple one, go to library, click on shows, Choose our show, look for that garish green logo. Scroll down until you see ratings. Give us some stars and then click on write a review. It's right below the box that shows a recent review. It really does help us, so thanks. And we promise to read the really good reviews or the really funny reviews 
on future episodes and we'll say your name or whatever name shows up on the review box. So you'll get your 15 seconds of fame by giving us some love. All right, here we are back to the show. You mentioned something here. So just one second, Michael, because uh, Sandeep mentioned something very interesting, which is probably worth clarifying quickly for our audience, the concept of generative design and the way you highlighted it is really important because normally, as you said, we've used the artificial intelligence in a very simple way, which is to say, this is how I would design a house. Can you, the computer, help me make it with the windows just a little bit larger? But we give the computer the answer and then we ask for an incremental improvement. Whereas with generative design, the idea is you give the computer the parameters. And the artificial intelligence then has a lot more leeway in coming out with new designs and new solutions. So you really leverage the power of artificial intelligence to come up with ideas that the architect or the construction expert would not because they are used to work with certain experience and a certain mental parameter. It's pretty much the same, the same point I was going to make. I was going to ask a question around it, which is, that does, that, does that mean that your customers are more likely to be architects rather than the construction engineers? I mean, who, who really uses, who's your customer, your user base? It really is holistic because think about this. If I am the owner and let's say you're you're the architect on the project, right? If you go ahead and use use the platform to come up with a design, but I'm not able to control the levers in it, I'm not able to control as the owner what is driving my decisions, whether that's cost, whether that's daylight, whether that's water use, whether that's energy use, whether that's, I don't know, real estate value, whether that's number of units in a in a of rentable space, whatever that may be, as long as I, as the owner, am not able to collaborate with you in a holistic fashion, you cannot make good decisions. Right now, that's done through long, long, really long meetings that happen week on week on week, where you're providing that direction to each other and the architects trying to make the best of like, hey, that's what the owner said, but the contractor said, I can't study that other model because it's too expensive. But the engineer said, I must only design this ceiling height because the duct sizes need need to fit for a certain way in my building. And they're trying to balance that in their head. There's no way to do that well and the literally the only way to do that well is to do it in an integrative collective way where everybody's working on the same model and adding their layers of parameters. As an architect, I might give the parameters that relate to building design and aesthetic. As an engineer, somebody else will give the parameters that relate to performance and whatever type of engineering that they're having a control on. As an owner, I'll add the parameters that govern my decision making so that we can holistically make a good building. Is what I'm getting so, at. So, but, but then who makes the decision to use the tool to begin with? How do you enter that, that space of collaboration? Oh, we're entering with the architects. Okay. We're definitely entering that space with the architects and the mechanical engineers because they currently have to run the data and create the data to present the owners and developers in a manual way. Um, so we're starting there. That said, we've had actual developers and contractors that have come to us to have access to the platform because they want to also understand all of these different parameters and have that data. So for instance, we have Skanska and JLL, some pretty large names using the platform because even though they have their architectural and engineering teams doing the designs, they want to know for themselves if the options that are being provided to them are in fact the whole range of options and in fact are being data-driven. Great. There's this sort of old problem um, in energy efficiency, which is that 
the builders have very little incentive to put in energy efficiency measures because they're not the ones who are going to be using and using electricity or using the energy and paying for it. Um, in a tenant building, it's it's an added problem because again, the people who are using it aren't the people who uh, who own the building. Um, and I'm wondering if if you've seen evidence yet that that's changing. And so what I mean is is Cove showing builders that in fact um, there are there are ways to make your building as energy efficient as possible and keep costs down or is it still is it still the case that if you want to go you know quite energy efficient it's going to cost more than you know standard building practices where where are we in that in solving this 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 problem oh definitely so one thing that i want to point out is the fact that we currently talk about builder, builders having the luxury to not build energy efficiently is going away really, really, really quickly. For example, the law that was passed in New York that requires every single building to meet a certain energy reduction target. And if they don't meet it, they have to pay a carbon tax, which is a pretty substantial task. So for a tax for a tower, that could easily be two to $3 million a year. So that definitely has a role to play. So I definitely want everybody to kind of get into the frame of mind that this is not something that we're gonna have a luxury to do for a very long time. So might as well just change our workflows now. On the second point, the question that you asked is, is CoveTool actually able to show that there's a cheaper way to build a building or the same cost way to build a building while making it energy efficient? Yeah, 100%. So just recently for the Emory University project, which is a $90 million student center, they were able to achieve 40% energy efficiency while still meeting the same budget that they had set out without the 40% energy efficiency goal. So I think that's, that's a pretty drastic win. And also on this front, I wonder, because if I remember correctly, the, uh, the waste uh, that takes place within the construction industry is also enormous. I think I've read somewhere that between 10 to 30% of material which is delivered to a construction site ends up being wasted. And part of it is because of bad planning, because of having to change decisions, and presumably having access to a tool like CoveTool that allows you to figure out all the options in advance might also improve the decision process and therefore reduce waste and therefore improve the cost side. Have you seen any evidence of this already? I have not yet. Just because CoveTool, the way it currently stands, doesn't necessarily go into much of construction planning and it applies currently most to a design standpoint. That said, the sooner that we have data and the sooner that we start working in an integrated fashion, the better the workflows are, the more organized and coordinated every part of the construction is. So I can certainly imagine that to be the case. I just don't have any data to point to that. Fair enough. So we should probably uh, begin to wrap up and we're gonna, we're gonna switch to our sort of, you know, wax philosophical segment. Um, so first of all, um, you were named recently to the Forbes 30 under 30 list for energy. So congratulations. Um, Thank you. What's that? meant to your business? What's it meant to your life? You know, has it made it easier to find customers? Tell us about how that's changed you and Cove. Definitely. So in reality, what it's done for, for my life, not much other than it's, it's cool to, to be on the <laughs> list, right? It's not, I'm, I'm 
nothing's changed. I'm still doing what I was doing. I'm still working. I'm still trying to create this awesome product and sell it and save, save the world. <laughs> uh, what it's done for my business is, is a whole lot more drastic than, than that, which is people definitely, I mean, it's, it's just a recognition, right? I was still doing the same things before I got named 30 under 30, but people just know it more now. People understand it. It's all about being, getting the exposure that you need a lot of times to, to do the right thing. Cause a lot of people want to make good choices anyway. They just don't have the path to do it. And to the exposure that I get and with it, Cove Tool gets definitely spreads the message about it and makes makes the job a little bit easier. That said, um, specifically for the architectural industry, which is really, really dominated by old white men, it's not necessarily an asset to be 30 under 30 because um, then you're advertising that, hey, everybody, I'm young. Um, so not tons of benefit um, from that standpoint, but luckily it doesn't matter because I'm no longer a consultant. Um, but yeah. Got it. Okay. Have you, has, has it led to any new customers? I mean, other than the exposure, have you? Oh, yeah. tons, oh, tons. Like, oh, when I say exposure, that's like my polite way of saying like tons of new customers. Like it's absolutely fantastic. And just the community itself, it is so robust in terms of like, they, they have a really cool app where you can talk to all the other people that have ever in the past also been on the 30 under 30 list, which is a pretty robust network. And they keep hosting events and well now Zoom events. No, no, no personal meetings right now, um, which is really, really handy, right? Because the more people you know, there's always ways that connections help and that has already started to work, which is yeah, exciting. No, that's wonderful. Okay. So for an, for an under 30 year old, maybe a little bit of a hard question, but look ahead 20 years. Um, and, and, <laughs> and what does the building stock look like in 2040? What does new construction look like in 2040? That, absolutely. So one thing that we have to understand is this will absolutely need to happen for a viable, for a viable world is that every single building, just like, you know, in, on cereal boxes, we have a nutrition label behind it to tell us exactly what's gone into the building, how good or bad it is, how many calories you're eating. This will need to happen for every single building. This absolutely has to happen. And this, the building nutrition label would read things like how much energy is it using? How much carbon is it using? How much daylight is it using? What kind of glare does it have? And that is how every single decision will be made. And that's, that's the world that I know will happen for there to be a viable world. So I hate to put grim, grim thing, like grim thoughts into people's mind, but that is 100% the reality. Will, will Cove accelerate? Could it, should it accelerate, um, not just retrofits, but actually total rebuilds. In other words, some of the old building stock is inefficient. Some of the 15 year old building stock is inefficient. Um, are we going to get, will the building stock turn over more quickly because of things like Cove? Maybe, because a lot of times it's all about the data, right? So breaking a new building and using building products to build a new building is equally carbon intensive as building a brand new one. What Cove Tool will allow is provide the data to be able to make that informed decisions that, hey, it's now the time to break this building because based on that tipping point, we're at the point where building a new building is a whole lot more efficient than keeping this really inefficient one. So it will definitely encourage that data 
data-based decision-making instead of that, hey, I think I'm going to put a new building because this one looks old. So it'll definitely provide data about, about yeah. that. And let me just underscore the importance of uh, the, the data-driven process you just mentioned. And to me, that is the biggest value because uh, we, as Michael mentions, the idea of uh, retrofitting or rebuilding uh, entire uh, pieces of the housing stock, uh, which is an issue that has also been mentioned uh, earlier on in the presidential campaign, in the political debate. Uh, I think what we're looking at now is uh, the gravity of the uncomfortable economic trade-offs we will have to face, right? We're recording this as the COVID-19 outbreak is going on. We're essentially stopping the global economy for uh, an unknown period of time. Fixing it and getting it back on track is going to cost money. Retrofitting building costs money. So I think we're going to find ourselves in a situation where having the data that allow us to allocate the resources and reach our objectives most efficiently is going to be one of the most crucial assets we can put on the table. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I couldn't agree more. And what, what I keep saying is that, yeah, there's the virus spreading, but just as fast as that is spreading, that is not slowing down climate change. That is still happening just the way it was the week before, the month before, everywhere in the world. So just because we have a pretty massive challenge to deal with doesn't underscore any other really, really massive challenges as well. So we'll definitely have to keep keep doing that. And data is going to become a more important part of that. To that effect, what I've actually observed is now that we've switched to predominantly all Zoom-based um, you know, user meetings, right? All of, all of our users, they're getting all their demos on online instead of us going in person. That's a lot of carbon. And as, as an industry, if we switch to um, online meetings where we can, instead of this whole fixation with we need to see people in person, many industries have already taken that transition. Maybe we should too. And this is a really, really good case study that it can work. And I've seen a lot of decision makers in the AEC world switch their attention to technology because nothing else is working. So they're trying to figure out a way to make technology and data work because that's all that's left. Great, Great place to end. Sandeep Ahuja, thank you so much for joining us and uh, spending some time. Thank yeah, you. thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Thank again. you. Yeah. I appreciate Good it. Good luck. Take care. Thanks to the folks over at Podblade for editing this episode. Podblade is an affordable podcast editing service focused on making podcasting more accessible by offering all-in-one podcast editing, starting at just $20 per episode. We learned the hard way that audio editing is one of the most time-consuming parts of the podcasting process. That's why we're now using Podblade to edit our shows. Check them out at podblade.com. That's podblade.com. And tell them M4Edge sent you.